downtown Seattle. At the end of every day, Jess and I would catch up and compare notes about clients and current projects. I liked her. She had a quick wit and a foul mouth, not to mention two perfectly placed tattoos. The first, about the size of a quarter, a series of concentric circles on the inside of her left wrist. The second, a row of alien-like dots that crawled up her spine, just high enough to peek out from behind a dress shirt collar. Jess was edgy but lighthearted and made working in a somewhat uptight corporate office more enjoyable. After almost a year of working together, we had become close friends. We sat there contemplating the idea of getting a drink downstairs to wait out the rush hour traffic, as we had done many nights before. Jess's drink of choice, Corona, no fruit. Mine, a glass of red wine. The receptionist, Ted, suddenly leaned into my workspace. He looked at me and then let his eyes fall to the ground. It's an image I'll never forget. That pause as he looked for words. Um, Marie, he said. There are some people here to see you in the conference room, up front. I didn't ask him who they were. I somehow knew. Ted was a big teddy bear of a guy who served as our gatekeeper, screening calls, protecting us. But this time, I wanted to protect him. I didn't want him to have to tell me. I wanted to spare him. Or maybe I was trying to spare myself, give myself a few more moments before the inevitable. There was something in his voice and body language, or something waiting in the fear that is with you constantly when your loved one is in a war zone. A chaplain and three soldiers in full-dress army uniforms were standing in the conference room when I entered. They didn't have to say a word. I knew instantly that Pat had been killed. They had prepared us for this at the family readiness meeting a few months back. Class A, dress uniform, killed. BDU, or battle dress uniform, injured. My mind registered their appearance. Class A. We're sorry to inform you. The words had no logical place to go in my head and ricocheted somewhere between hearing and understanding. The men stared straight at me, watching for my reaction, ready to catch me, I suppose. The chaplain pressed forward and took my hand. He started to pray, but I cut him off. I needed to think, not pray. Call, call, I had to call my parents. I went over to the phone and dialed their number. My mom answered and I gave her the news. I shocked myself at how direct the words came out. There was no easy way to say it. The world as I knew it had ended. Pat was dead. Mom took it in for a few seconds. We're on our way, she said, and simply hung up. I knew this would be her response. I didn't have to ask. I knew they would drop everything and come. That's why I called her. I walked back to my desk in the stone-cold numbness of emotional shock. I picked up my purse and avoided eye contact with any of my coworkers. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I needed to get out of there. Without saying much, the chaplain took my keys and got in the driver's seat while I walked to the passenger side. The soldiers walked to their cars to follow us home. They were all professionals. They had done this before. As the chaplain drove, I stared out the car window, watching the scenery without seeing anything. It had been less than three weeks since Pat left for Afghanistan. As an Army spouse, you're given a rough idea of when deployments will happen, but the exact dates are never set in stone, and the schedule often changes. I had taken the day before Pat left off of work, expecting him to deploy that evening, but things got pushed, and Pat and his brother Kevin who had listed at the same time 
and lived with us, were headed out the following night. I had taken a lot of time off of work and remembered thinking I couldn't reasonably take another day. Since they'd be leaving in the evening, it seemed sensible to go into work for a few hours and come back in the late afternoon to see them off. Pat always tried to maintain a sense of calm before he left, never giving any indication that he might not come back or that our time together was limited. I woke up that morning and got in the shower, readying myself for a day of work. Once in the shower, I panicked. I didn't want to leave. What was I thinking? I didn't really care about this job. I couldn't leave Pat. So I called in sick and crawled back into bed, hair still moist. I woke Pat up as I snuggled back in and he put his arms around me. He noticed my wet hair. What are you doing? He asked sleepily. I'm not going to work. Good, he said. And we went back to sleep for another couple hours. Now I close.